Today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show, I'm going to talk about the Lazy GM's reference document that I've been working on for the past couple of weeks. I'm going to show it off, show what's in there, talk about why I did it, all sorts of things like that. Darrington Press just announced two new RPGs. We're going to think about what does that mean for the industry or anything like that. Spoiler, we don't know. There was a recent look that Chris Perkins did on the Dungeon Masters got on YouTube. We're going to look at that. C7D20 is waffling a little bit on their use of an open license. We're going to think about, is that a problem? What does that mean? Or should we be angry or not? I don't know. Bob World Builder, Nerd Immersion, and AlphaStream all have new reports on the D&D Summit. And we're going to look at the April 2023 Patreon Q&A questions from patrons all today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things in tabletop rpgs this show like all of the work of sly flourish is brought to you by the patrons of sly flourish patrons get access to the dedicated discord server the monthly q a the sly flourish random generator a whole bunch of exclusive adventures a whole bunch of previews of upcoming stuff including the lazy gm's reference document which i'm going to show off right now to the patrons of sly flourish thank you so much for your support if you want to become a patron of sly flourish you can do so by following the link down below and becoming a patron of sly flourish I have been working on something. So during the Forge of Foes Kickstarter, we announced that we would be releasing some of the Forge of Foes material under a Creative Commons license. Scott and Teos and I all talked about it. We're eager to do it. We're excited to do it. It's going to take a little bit of time before that starts to happen. But it made me think about like, you know, I've got a lot of other stuff squirreled away that might make sense to be released under a Creative Commons license. So a couple of weeks ago, I did one thing, which is I took some of my older books, Lazy DM Tips, running epic tier D&D games and the original Lazy Dungeon Master and put those out under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share alike license, which is a pretty restrictive license. And I did the restrictive license because I want people to be able to copy them and send them and use them and transform them into whatever they want to do, but not sell them outright. However, there's other material from more recent books like the Lazy DM's Companion, the Lazy DM's Workbook, and Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master that I do want to release under a much less restrictive Creative Commons license, the, 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 the Creative Commons Attribution License, which means you can use it however you want, derivative works, commercial work, you can do whatever you want as long as you attribute it, that, that, that work back to me. You don't even have to share it alike, all that kind of thing. And I had reasons that I want to do that. But first, let me let's 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 take a look at it. So for a couple of weeks, I have been working on this document. I've been doing little bits of it here and there for not little bits. In some cases, I spent a lot of time doing it. And what I wanted to do is there are certain parts of those three books I mentioned, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DM's Workbook, and the Lazy DM's Companion, that I think could really serve the larger RPG community, could really serve both GMs who want to use this material in their own work, but also other publishers or other creators who want to use this stuff in lots of different ways, either building their own random generators and using them on their Patreons, like I do for my own stuff, or for creating other online tools, or for writing their own RPGs, or writing their own supplements or anything like that. And there were ideas in here that I really felt like were useful beyond just my own work in the idea of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. So I took a lot of this stuff and I put it into this document that I'm calling the Lazy GM's Resource Document. You might notice it's Lazy GM instead of DM. And you're like, what is that? Why Why are you switching from GM, DM to GM? And the reason there is I don't want to give the brand of the Lazy DM up in the same document. So I'm giving it kind of a boring name because what I don't 
don't want to do is say you can go brand your stuff. So it does not say Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master anywhere in here because I don't want somebody to grab the title of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, do a bunch of stuff with it. So instead, it's about the material that's in here more than the branding. So the branding is kind of washed, washed out of this document. That's why that's why that's the case. This work is not yet released under a Creative Commons license. I am working on it. I am exploring it. I'm exploring it with patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons have access to it. I sent out a the, the link to this to patrons last week so they could chew on it, leave comments, talk about what's in it. One thing I want to be careful of is like, do people feel like I'm giving away too much? Is it is it like, oh, a whole lazy, I don't even need to buy any of the books anymore because I got this thing. I don't think that's the case. And there's definitely parts of the books that aren't in lots of the book are not in here. This is probably maybe 20%, 30. If you took all three books, it's maybe 20 or 30% of what's in those books. And it's and the stuff that's in here is sort of the crunchier bits of it rather than the more descriptive tutorial bits of it, which is where I think a lot of the value comes in in owning my actual books. But the ideas, I don't want to hang on to the ideas. And you really can't hang on to the ideas anyway. So an example is like, are the eight steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master copyrightable? I don't think they are. They're too small, right? It's too little. And, you know, then those concepts aren't exactly completely unique to me anyway. Well, now it's for sure. When I release this, then you don't ever have to even question whether they're copyrightable because you can, you can, you, you know, the right in here. So an example is like most of return is not in here. The only part that's in here is the description of the eight steps directly, but all of the rest of return is not in here. But then lots of parts of the workbook, about half of the workbook is in here and about 30% of the Lazy DM's companion are in here. And they're definitely part of the like chew, the, the bits that you might want to use in online tools, the parts that you might want to take and put in other RPGs, things that would be useful for DIY GMs who really want to build their own tools and stuff. And they're worried about a little bit worry about like, if I share this, what does that mean? Now you don't have to, you wouldn't have to worry about it. Or online tools in particular. You want to build random generators. You want to build random tools that kind of do a lot of this stuff. You don't even have to ask. You can just use this. However, it is not yet licensed under a Creative Commons license. The intent is that I will release it. There are a couple of people, trusted trusted advisors of mine, who are going through it to really help me make sure that I'm not giving away something I don't intend to give away. We saw a little bit of that when the Creative Commons 5.1 SRD came out. And, and they're just giving me good advice. And then, you know, the other one is there are there stuff I want to add. Now I can always add stuff to this. In fact, I added something this morning, which I don't think anybody really knows about. And I'm going to talk about that, but I can always add stuff to it, but I can't take anything away. So that's the real trick because I want to make sure that I'm not, I can, I can always make it bigger. I can't make it smaller. So that's where I want to be careful. So what kind of, it actually has quite a bit in here. It's a big, long document. Like, look at this thing. It's got tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff. It's big, big piles, big piles of things. And I really wanted it to be like self-contained so that like it sort of had everything you kind of needed within it. When I, what I realized is like, is, you know, some people have been like, well, is this the lazy DMs, you know, dungeon master guide? Kinda, like you can do a lot with it. I don't know that there's much missing. One of the things that I think when I was putting this together that I was really happy about is that if you take this and the 5.1 SRD that Wizards of the Coast put out, between the two of them, you have a whole lot about how to, with all the stuff you need to how to run, how to prepare your RPGs, how to run the RPGs and all the material you need to actually run them. Because the 5.1 SRD has no Dungeon Master focused guidance. And this one is packed with 
Dungeon Master Guidance. So there's between the two of them, we sort of have this, you know, filled out full resource of that that fills out five five dot one in lots of ways. Now there's other books that also have them, like Level Up Advanced Five E has the Trials and Treasure book, which a lot of is un- released under the OGL as well. So you have material, but I wanted to make sure that there was lots in here. So just going through the table of contents, we have the eight steps, and this is the brief summaries of what the eight steps are. It doesn't have the chapter by chapter breakdown of what each of the eight steps are, how they work. There's a couple of them that are broken up, but most of them are like one or two paragraph descriptions. And again, the intent is if you wanted to use the eight steps in your own product, you now have enough information in here that you could grab those eight steps and run with them on your own, not to completely describe them, you know, com- you know, totally, but they, they are in here. So we have the eight steps. We have the lazy RPG prep process. This is taken right out of the workbook, a bullet list of like, what are, what are the things that you need? How do you build a lazy campaign? What are some concepts for running your game, thinking about your game? What are the GM's truths? What are some lazy RPG tricks, right? So this is the bullet. This is actually like the front page of the workbook has this. And I, I threw that directly in here. What are examples of strong starts? This is taken from the companion. I reorganized this whole thing, by the way, so that it kind of makes sense. It flows. It flows. But what are examples of strong starts? We have 10 for cities and towns, 10 for sewers, 10 for wilderness, 10 for dungeons. Again, those came right out of the companion. Creating secrets and clues. Big question of what are examples? Character secrets, historical secrets, NPC villains, plots and plots and story. All of that's in here. Building an RPG group. I feel that this is important enough that even though it's more of an advicey sort of section, Getting people to build an RPG group is really hard. So what are the ways that you can do? You're finding and selecting players. Again, pulled right out of the companion and thrown in here. A session zero checklist. Lots of groups are putting out session zero, but now there's one that's in the creative commons or not yet, but will be in the creative commons. So people can have their whole how to do a session zero, how to how to get that to work. Safety tools, whole section on safety tools that are in here. I took out the direct descriptions of like the X card and lines and veils and some other things, because I don't own those works. They are, they are under various licenses. And, and so, so like script change and X card and lines and veils, which are very common safety tool things. I instead changed some of it. So lines and veils, instead I refer to as hard lines and off screen content to avoid using the term lines and veils, same basic idea, you know, how, how that works. Pause for a second Definitely, you know, the idea of that really came from a piece of script change. But then what I do is I say, you know, there's there's these other resources too. The X card by John Stavropoulos, script change by Bo Jaeger Sheldon, and the TTRPG safety toolkit. So I reference those because those are really the big ones that everybody's using in lots of ways. But because this is a Creative Commons attribution license thing, eventually, I didn't want to put anything in here that I don't own. So I, I, it's not because I don't think those are great, and I definitely think people should be pointing at them. But I, I, I put those in here. I, I reference them in here because I think you, you can go look at what they've got. And then my abstract takes on them are my own 100% you can use them how do you connect characters lots of different ways to connect characters spiral campaign development a patron recommended this said hey you know the spiral campaign development is really an interesting concept it's pretty unique to this style what about putting that in there I said good idea and we added it so I'm I'm also open to oh you know here is a thing that you have that's really like fundamental that would be very valuable to other RPGs other producers other DMs that would be really good to be released, let me know. Let me know in the comments. I'll take a look. And if I feel like I'm not giving away the farm, I'll put it in there. Quest templates, right? Very straightforward. Kill the boss, find something, rescue. This is all from the DM's companion as well. The 10 ways to have kind of a quest template. Tools for 5e improvisation. A lot of stuff in here. A lot of mechanics for 5e that you can use to really improvise your game. This came right out of the companion. Quick tricks for lazier 5e. These are my dirt, my dirt simple tricks. Very simple stuff. Right out of the companion. 
5e quick encounter building. I have two different kinds of encounter building things in here. This is the one that was in the workbook where you can sort of compare monsters to characters by, by level for first level, second to fourth level, fifth to 20th level. But then I also have the lazy combat encounter benchmark, which talks about starting with the story, figuring out what the average character hit points, potential, and then figuring out potential deadliness. You know, encounter might be deadly if the total of monster challenge ratings equal to or greater than the total number of character levels. That is probably one of the most valuable things I've come up with when it comes to encounter building. And here it is. And then, you know, a whole reminder about what it is like when that character capabilities vary and scaling for higher levels. I have two different versions of theater, of the mind guidelines. One is the extended version that's in the workbook, a little bit longer, a lot of the same ideas. And I couldn't decide if I liked one better than the other. So I'm like, why don't I give away both? So this is a little bit of a longer one. And then I have an abbreviated version, which is meant to be like condensed down to one page, very straightforward. And just talks about core principles, common understandings, player advice, GM advice, you know, so on. So I offered both. Zone-based combat, a variant of theater of the mind where you use zone. How does that work with 5e? That is in here, handling edge cases. Monster difficulty dials, another thing that I offer up that I think is very valuable. How you can change the difficulty of monsters on the fly with number of monsters, hit points, damage, and number of attacks. Running hordes, another thing that I think I've, I've come up with I think is really valuable. Different ways to run lots and lots of monsters. That's in here. Stress effects. A good drop-in replacement for the madness rules. I really like them in here. So that that whole stress effect thing is something I would love other people to be able to use, and now, and and soon they will be able to. The core adventure generators right out of the companion. This is where I get into a lot of random tables. So things are going to go quick here. The core adventure generators are how to build adventures, quests, NPCs, mon locations, monuments, and items, conditions, descriptions, and origins different chambers, dungeon discoveries, dungeon monsters, traps and hazards, treasure. This is the abbreviated list. I actually have longer lists that are that are that are further out. What spells you can apply. I have an NPC generator in here, how to build a, a richer NPC very quickly with a bunch of tables. Treasure generator again for fifth edition. You get very quick like how to how to roll up some some quick treasure. Random traps, you notice it's one to forty, and that's because the order lists I can't do like the you know one 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 to one hundred things. So not perfect for a random table. Hopefully you can throw it in there. Random traps, uh, you know, type, trigger, flavor, damage by severity, and different things. Random monuments in the two different lists. So one came from the workbook, one from the came from the companion. You'll see a little bit of overlap here, but like monument structure is is big enough that you know I thought it might as well put in both random items. Uh, yeah, how to generate random items and maybe add some interesting things to them. Different spell effects. There's a longer spell effects table. Potions of healing. Random town events is in here. Random dungeon monsters. This is a really fun one. This is from the workbook, and it's something I'm really proud of. That you have different dungeon levels, and you have which table you roll on. So, uh, sorry, the dungeon levels are, are top to bottom from level one to level 16 plus. And then depending on what level of the dungeon you're on, you roll a d20 to see which table you should roll on. Then you go down to that table and roll the monsters. Really nice way to have a bunch of random lists of monsters at different challenge ratings. All set, just assuming dungeon level. So it's not for any environment, it's just for dungeons, but it works really well. And then this is something I added today. This is something I'm working on. I will continue to work on it. I've already released this under a Creative Commons license, which is Lightning 5e. What if we had a super light 
lightweight version of 5e that we could run very, very quickly, teach very quickly, maybe even print out on just a couple of sheets of paper and carry around. And so Lightning 5e is a full fifth edition variant of the game. Very straightforward. It takes a lot of ideas from Cypher, a lot of ideas from Fate, but combines them with fifth edition core ideas. And the idea is that you can teach somebody very quickly. You can build a character very quickly. And the, what you learn by playing this helps you understand how bigger the full fifth edition works. It has ideas like proficiency. It has ideas like advantage and disadvantage. It abstracts other things like hit points. So it's not a perfect match, but it's a full system of fifth edition. And I haven't really talked about it on this show. It's something I've been playing around with for a few months. And very, very straightforward stuff. You just need a D20. You don't have to roll any other dice. Monster creation is super fast. You just pick a challenge rating between 1 and 20. And that number tells you exactly what all of the stats for that monster are. So you can flavor it however you want. But the stats are always very similar. Again, just like Fate and just like Cypher System. And character creation is really, really quick. So it is all available. And the idea, why the reason, and you have a very... You know, it goes up to level 20, but it is super, super lightweight. So you're not going to get the crunchiness that you get from 5th edition. And if at any point you're like, I like this, but it's too simple, then go to 5th edition. You don't need you don't need this. But if you're looking for a simple, quick, you want to just, you know, just want to play, this is a system that you can use. And the idea behind it is that it's short enough that if you wanted to write a book that had 5th edition stuff, but say, I just want to slide a full set of the rules in the back of the book too, that they could use to run this adventure... You could do this in like four pages. So four pages of your book can have a whole system that can make your fifth edition material ready to run. That's pretty cool. So that is, uh, that's what it is. So that is the Lazy GM's resource document. Patrons of Sly Flourish have access to it right now. You can go get it. And one of the things about like, how do you use it? I added this paragraph today that the way you get this is you right click and you sit save as and save it to your desktop and you have a copy of it. Make sure that it is a HTML only version. So it's the HTML of the page. You can, whatever browser you're using, just save the HTML and you have a full copy of the document on your own system. But you can also use tools like Calibri or Pandoc to convert it into Markdown, convert it into PDF, convert it, convert it into EPUB if you want to put it on an ebook reader. So lots of ways to convert it. The master document is going to be an HTML, but you can convert that HTML to just about any other format you want using something like Calibri or Pandoc. You you can even send it right to your Kindle as a web page and it'll show up on your Kindle. So I, I added some links so that you can you can you can do that. But yeah, this this is the whole thing. So patrons have access to it right now. I'm very interested in getting your feedback on it. I don't know exactly when I'm gonna release the whole thing under a Creative Commons license, but I, I'm hoping to do it soon. Again, I have a couple friends of mine, people, trusted advisors of mine who are looking over it to say, yeah, this is good, or ooh, you want to be careful about doing X, Y, or Z. I think I'm also gonna talk to Scott Gray. Scott has offered to give it a good thorough run through. He's already edited a lot of the text that's in this because this all came from the books but you know there's some copy and paste errors and things like that some other people caught errors if you find some errors in it please let me know the errors and we'll fix them up so that's the lazy gm resource document i'm really excited about it i, I feel good about giving this stuff away it feels like i'm you know helping the rpg community in a way that isn't just me right it's not about me it's about making this game great and this is a way i can take some of the things that i've worked on some of the things that i've spent a lot of time on things that i've been working on for a decade and i can take it and give it away and and that makes me really really excited so that is the lazy gm resource document in some news that has happened this week, Darrington Press, which is the press that is behind the company that does Critical Role, this is sort of their imprint brand that does Critical Role stuff, they announced a bunch of games, including a tabletop game called Queen by Midnight, like a board game, and two different role-playing games. Illuminated Worlds, which is built for short story arcs, 
that they can uh, apply to a bunch of different settings and Daggerheart, which is a longer, rich character based RPG. We don't know hardly anything about them. I think some of the names of the I think that some of the names of the people who have been working on these have gotten out there. I didn't I didn't catch them in time for the show, but they seem like they are people that have been definitely involved in designing RPG material for a while. So that looks really interesting. It looks like they've been working on this for a little while. So that's cool. And uh, yeah, so it looks like we're going to get two new RPGs made by a major company with a lot of financing, a lot of funding, very creative group behind it. So I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see both of them. It'll be it'll be very cool to see both of them coming out. I guess they're going to start showing them off at Gen Con this this year. So we'll be we'll get to be able to see that. There is, of course, a lot of like, oh, what is this going to do for D&D? I would I would bet not much. I don't think you're going to see a major shift or change. The, the, the idea that Critical Role brought a lot of attention to D&D can't be discounted. Like you can't say that that didn't really that didn't really happen. But at this point, how much of what is being brought to D&D is being brought by Critical Role is a good question. The reality is we don't know. We have no idea what kind of impact this is going to have. Like, are they going to switch over? Is Critical Role going to move over to Dagger? It kind of makes sense that they did, right? It kind of makes sense that they, if they're going to make their own RPG... Why wouldn't they use that RPG in their own in their own game? It also makes a lot of sense because people who just enjoy the show would want to buy their RPG book just to kind of follow along with what's going on. That would be really kind of neat. I mean, I'm certainly going to pick up both of these. Like, absolutely. Is it going to drag a lot of people away from 5e? I would, A, we don't know, but I would probably say not. I don't think so. I, I think that this is another, like, the rising tide is raising all boats. I think this is really cool that they're doing it, but I don't think that this is going to drag people away from d and I don't think it's going to hurt the 2024 rewrite of D&D. But, you know, the reality is who could say? Like, you know, expert opinions are totally useless. If we count myself as an expert, my opinion is pretty useless. So your guess is as good as mine as what kind of impact. But I think a lot of times, this is something I've seen a lot from friend, friends of mine that are in the industry. When an event like this happens and they say, oh, this is going to completely change everything. And the reality is it takes a lot to change everything. Like it takes a lot of energy to change things heavily in one direction or the other. And it takes really big moves. And I don't know, even this, which is a pretty big move. I don't know that how how much of the needle is going to change because of an event like this. Like, even if they completely dorked up the 2024 guides, I don't know that that would have a huge change on 5e short term. It might long term, but it might not short term. So it takes major, major things to really move the needle. Putting out a major motion picture, for example. Like how many millions of dollars did that movie cost? Like a lot of millions of dollars. How many, how is it going to double the amount of people playing D&D? Very unlikely. 10%? Maybe. But you paid millions and millions of dollars to move the needle 10%. And did it move it 10%? I don't know. We'll have to see. So the, my, my end result is that usually it's not one thing that really moves the whole industry. This industry is now big enough that it takes lots and lots and lots of things happening over lots of amount of time for it to really, for the needles to move one way or the other. So that that's definitely interesting. But I'm, I'm excited. I want to see Illuminated Worlds. I love short story arc based RPGs, and I want to see Daggerheart, this this fantasy RPG focused on longer campaigns. And it'd be very interesting to see how they design the RPG to fit the fact that they are a group that does streaming gaming. Could be really neat. There was a video by Chris Perkins where he talked... Whoa, I didn't mean to do that. I went in theater mode. There we go. 
But they, he talked in depth about what, is, what kind of stuff is going to be in the DMG and why he did it. What's really interesting to me, and we're going to talk over, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to spend too much time just continuing to complain about the summit. This is what I kind of wanted. I would rather have wizards in their own words describe the things that they're going to do and put out lots of videos that talk about the monster. And I'm sure they're going to talk about the monster manual, talk about the dungeon master's guide. An interesting thing here is he's talking about the dungeon master's guide. It's a year away. Like, are we sure nothing's changing in there? Like, it seems like these kinds of videos would probably be better closer to the end, especially like they haven't play tested anything from the Dungeon Master's Guide yet. And I hope they are. The main thing like, is like, why bother having a summit where you talk about all this stuff and then put out a video like this? It would be far easier for me to just watch the video. Anyway, you want to hear from his own mouth what they're thinking about with the Dungeon Master's Guide? Check it out. C7 D20. So Cubicle 7 are the makers of the Lord of the Rings and the Middle Earth 5e settings. I think they've done some other 5e some other 5e stuff and there was an an, an interview on n world where they spoke to some of the creators that are working on c7 d20 this this fantasy taking the engine you can kind of think of like this with fantasy age and dragon age when green ronin first did fantasy age they did it as dragon age branded around dragon age just like cubicle seven did it for middle earth and then lord of the rings and now they're taking the fantasy part out and making it abstract so they have their own system which makes sense from a company standpoint that way if they lose the license or whatever they've got a book that's already set they're making one book that's focusing on the whole game rather than doing two or three books or anything like that. But one of the things that stood out to me, one of the things I thought was an interesting discussion is that like a lot of the C70 20 stuff came out of the OGL issues that happened in January, the big, the big OGL debacle that happened in January. And they said, yes, we're making a version two. So a lot of what I've been many times on this show, I've, I've said 5e is no longer one company's platform. It is a platform we can all expand and build off of, just like I did with the lazy GM resource document. And we can all sort of grab onto it because we, it can't go anywhere. We know it's going to be out there forever. We can do whatever we want with it. And so Cubicle 7 saying we're going to make our own RPG based on that one that has some of our special sauce in it. Their special sauce being like an exploration system, a sort of verbal combat kind of ideas, like you know, way, ways to make non-combat encounters as tactically rich as combat encounters, I think is something that they talked about. So they definitely have some interesting takes. And I've definitely heard Cubicle 7's exploration guidelines that they put into their Middle Earth book is really good. I have never really looked at it myself, but they really liked it. So they said they're coming out with this new book. It's going to be a single book. And they did this whole talk about it. What was pretty interesting is that this really came out of the OGL catastrophe that occurred. And then there was a good question. Egg Embry is the one who did the interview. And Egg said, is, is C7020 going to be an open licensed product? Emmett Byrne is part of the, the creative director for it. And Emmett said, honestly, we're not sure right now. The landscape is still in a bit of flux. We believe in creative social gaming and squabbling over legal issues takes us away from what we love to do, making and playing games. All I can say is we're talking to other companies about what we'll do next as a wider gaming community. Boy, that's a markety. There's a markety statement. There's a statement that says nothing, you know, nothing at all. And what I see is no, probably not. Right. When I, when I read that, it's, is C7 trying to be an open license product? The answer is probably not. And they could just say, we're not, I mean, they say we're not sure. Okay. Fair. And maybe they aren't sure. That's a big, you know, and I guess they, they don't want to do it. But when I hear things, when I, when I hear things like, the landscape is still in a bit of flux and we believe in creative social gaming and squabbling over legal issues takes us away from what we have to do. That sounds like it came right out of the original D&D Beyond articles about the OGL when the OGL catastrophe was going on. When it was like, we believe in an OGL. It's, it's, it's you know, 
is pretty bad, right? Like that's not a great way because it, it definitely is like, well, we know that you think it's important, but we're, you know, and we want you to feel good about our thing. So we're not going to say anything. But here's another take I'll give you. You ready for the hot take? They don't owe us anything. They don't owe us an OGL, right? They, they could just say, no, ours is our own product. Many other producers of many other RPG products have said, no, it's our own thing. We're not putting it out of an open license. They can do whatever they want. They don't owe us one. Now, we could be kind of grumpy about it. I'm grumpy about their statement because their statement is so waffly. And again, it reads right out of like a PR document, you know, but they don't owe us one. And there are other games, again, I brought up Fantasy Age. As far as I know, like Fantasy Age as a system is not available under a true open gaming license. Instead, it's like they have sort of a license that you can use if you want to write products that are compatible with it. But it's not like you could just go grab the rules from Fantasy Age and go make your own thing. There's lots of other systems that are the same way. Cypher System was relatively limited, and now more and more Cypher System is in the open. Cypher System decided, and Monty Cook Games said, yes, we are going to release it. So they actually have their own license for it, but it's a pretty good license. And they have released it. So more companies are starting to release it. Obviously, Evil Hat Games definitely has. It's really interesting to me that the companies that seem to have more to lose than others are the ones that are more likely to release their stuff than the ones that aren't. So the bigger the company, the less they're likely they are to, to, to kind of give stuff away. The smaller the company, the more willing they are to give things away. Like down, you know, I was talking with my friends on on, on Friday. Teo Sabadia brought this up. Teo Sabadia and Sean Merwin were talking about Powered by the Apocalypse on Mastering Dungeons. There was a t- t- talk on the show about how Vincent Baker basically gave the rules of Apocalypse World away. He said, if you want to make stuff like this, just go, go do it. I thought I had saw something that, that they were going to make a more formal license for Apocalypse World to be sure that people understood that they could do it. And you can take things like Dungeon World, which is released under a Creative Commons license, and use that even more so. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. And then, and then, you know, famously, Apocalypse World, Powered by the Apocalypse, is used for the Avatar Last Airbender game, which is like a $4 million Kickstarter, some huge you know, giant seven figure Kickstarter. And there's some talk about like, I, I think Tails mentioned on the show, he said like, I hope that Vincent Baker doesn't think that this is a mistake that he made. And I don't think he is. Cause one thing is like, how much would he have made? It's not like they're going to give him 10% for the game engine, right? They probably would have come up with their own if it wasn't licensed. So I don't, I, you know, it's interesting on like what it means to have an open license, but the reality is nobody is under any obligation to release their stuff under an open license. Of course, if you do release it under an open license and then you try to take it back, well, now you're being a schmuck. But, you know, that's 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 neither here nor there. I would also say if you say you are going to release an open license and then you you go back and say, no, we're not going to, you'd also be a schmuck. So that's why, like when Wizards said we are going to release the 2024 stuff under the same SRD and under a Creative Commons license, I want to hold them to it because they said they're going to do it. Do they owe it to us? Now they kind of do. They didn't but they kind of do now. And if you look at some of my rants that I gave before the OGL thing, I said, Wizards doesn't owe us an an OGL for the 2024 stuff. It'd be great if they did. I hope they do, but they don't owe it to us. Do they owe it to us now? No, but they'd be breaking a promise and they've broken enough promises recently that, you know, why not go ahead and why not go ahead and do it? So, so this was interesting to me. I think it is unfortunate if C7D20 has some cool parts that they are they are kind of building off of 5e that could help other RPGs. It's unfortunate that they are not making that available to other publishers. They're not under an obligation to. But you think about it, it's like they are taking the fifth edition SRD 
and using that. So they are taking a lot of work that other people had done that has been tested over a long period of time that they didn't have to build off of that they're able to use in order to make their stuff compatible. But then they're saying, but we're not going to make our stuff useful to anybody else downstream. This is what Ryan, when Ryan Dancy was talking about the value of the OGL in the sense that it, it kind of made you release stuff. You know, it, it sort of it pressured you to release stuff rather than to hold it without making it impossible to hold anything back. This is kind of what he was saying. You know, the but but you could, of course, hold everything back anyway. I know Monty Cook Games, I think, did hold like almost everything is considered product identity when Monty Cook Games uses the 5e SRD. So they sort of say like, we're taking everything, but then we're locking it here. And it's kind of like, it's up to you and it's up to your business and it's up to the kind of stuff that you're creating and to say like, is this really beneficial? I've been thinking about it a lot because I've been thinking about the the Lazy GM's resource document. I'm like, what's the stuff... You know, am I am I destroying my own opportunities for my own business by putting this out there? And am I putting out stuff that is really useful to other creators and other publishers so that they could use this in their own work? How, you know, what's the balance of that? It's certainly a good question. But I think there's a point where you say, if I've got an idea about how to do something, and I think that that idea is really useful, and probably people could do it anyway. They just have to go through a bunch of rigmarole in order to come up with their own version of it. Why don't I just release that and make it easy without necessarily giving away the farm? So yeah, so that was interesting. And that, that, that this, this, this topic kind of brought it up. I am not mad at C7020. I'll probably still buy it. I think it's still cool that we have another variant because from a DM perspective, it probably doesn't matter too much if their stuff is open or not. And you can still take these ideas and treat them as house rules for other ideas in your own game. Totally. As a publisher, I think it would be nice if they took at least parts of the material they have, pieces of the material that they have and really center open license. They're not saying they won't do it, but this this reads like we, we, we don't want to do it, but we don't want to say we don't want to do it because we don't want people to yell at us. Speaking of the DM Summit, if you haven't had enough about the DM Summit and you want more, there are new videos and, and, and articles out there. Bob World Builder has a video where he talked about his experience. He was very nice, mentioned my video, mentioned, yeah, men, mentioned he linked me in his, his video notes. That was very kind. Ted over at Nerd Immersion did his view of it. And my friend Teos now has a third article that he's written about his experiences on it. So if you wanted to see this one day event from like a bunch of different angles, now you can. Honest to God, I'm pretty tired of it. Like, I think we've squeezed all of the orange juice out of that orange that we're going to get because we've now got multiple people that are going to do it. And really, we got what we got. So I don't know that there's a whole lot more we need. But just in case you feel like, boy, you know what I want to know more about is the the DM, the, 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 the D&D Summit that happened three weeks ago now. There's lots of material out there for you to enjoy. And I'll link to all those down in the show notes if you want. I know for myself, I think I've, I think I've pretty much had my fill. Every month on the Sly Flourish Patreon, we do some patron questions. Patrons, I put up a new thread. Patrons can ask any question about tabletop RPGs in there that they want. I answer every question every Friday. Some of those questions I bring here to the show so that we can talk about them. Today's first question is from Dylan B. Dylan B says, my players just hit level 16 and are strapping in for the final grind to 20. Grind. I know you've talked before about the, the, the pretty minimal tier four support that WotC provides, and I pledged Forge of Foes hoping to create some credible threats for my own, but I'm wondering if you could offer any advice on running high-level monsters and encounters, managing challenges in, in characters that are basically superheroes, and any independent resources that might be worth my time. Yes. So for independent resources, check out the work of 2C Gaming. 2C Gaming, Ryan's service over at 2C Gaming has spent a lot of time and a lot of energy thinking about super big, high level threats if you want to see big crunchy high level monsters that will definitely 
own your characters, they that that's definitely a good resource for it. I bring up that w- when you're thinking about tier four support, you're 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 right on you're right on the money that it's you really need to think about it as like superhero stuff. So in that case, think about superhero plot lines. Like what are the threats that's that that you know that that superheroes face again the marvel movies are a great resource for this something like old superman movies and a lot of time the threat isn't to them the threat is to something that they love or something that they're willing to protect and it's always worth thinking about that obviously things like you know flying and teleportation and dispel magics and everything else you're gonna have a really hard time threatening characters that have these incredible resources at their at their disposal but if you want big monsters that can do it then the 2c gaming monsters are definitely in there we talk about in forge of foes absolutely we talk about super high level threats and how you can do that but a big part is like thinking about the scope and the scale of the story of your game and how and the kind of you know, multiverse level threats that they face. And an example of, of what I did is like in my fourth edition days, when I was running like 30th level adventures, Orcus was trying to become the new God of death. And he was going to do it by, by murdering the Raven queen, who is the current God of death. And he knew if the characters came to him, they'd, they'd beat him. He knew he was going to lose if they faced him. So he instead set off a doomsday device in the middle of the multiverse by awakening a super prime primordial power that would destroy the multiverse if they did not do it, including Orcus. And he said, like, I'm placing a bet. And my bet is that the characters will go after that so that I can go murder the Raven Queen. And that's what happened is that they went down. They knew they like, we, we, we have these things, but like, what's the point in stopping Orcus if the whole multiverse is destroyed? We have to go stop this other thing. Tenebris, I think that the super powerful primordial weapon, doomsday weapon built during the earliest days. So they had to go all the way down to the lowest level of the abyss and fight this incredibly powerful primordial and beat it back into submission and re retrap it. And then they rushed over to the, the Citadel of the Raven Queen and she had already died. She had been she had been pierced through with a dagger that Orcus had been had been forging that could stab him. And then he was the new god of death. And then they had to defeat the god of death. And he was way more powerful then. He had all sorts of like godly powers that they had to defeat. But they still beat him. It was a lot harder, but they still beat him. That is the kind of threat, the kind of big thing. And villains, they know that they're being chased by superheroes. This is where like Lex Luthor is a good model for a villain because he's thinking like, how do I beat Superman? I'm just a dude, right? If you think about like Batman versus Superman, what's the stuff Batman has to do to try to beat Superman, right? And, you know, how does he how does he get that angle? How does he, he has to be smarter, right? So what are the villains doing that makes them smarter than the characters because they're not generally as powerful? That's that's really something to keep in mind. It's a really fun way to kind of think about your game and this sort of super heroic stuff. And it it can be frustrating with all of the shenanigans that the characters have. Lots of other tricks I've got. Run bosses multiple times, like have a boss make a simulacrum so that you can see what the fight will be like and you can see what the players use and then the boss will learn from this and then therefore you will learn from this. Lots of different ways to deal with that. But yeah, Dylan, that sounds like, uh, sounds like a good time. Trick H says, I have a group that I started for about a year now during COVID. They are all more or less play- new players and having a good time. Time. After a first adventure and now a bit of truly lazy GMing, I am reaching a point where I find a need to guide my players better on how to play the game. A good example is treasure looting. 
A good example is treasure looting. I haven't had much, but when it was there, I tried to always lay at least one magic weapon ammunition. The potions and scrolls are easy, easily seen as the magic items, but the weapons were just thrown away, either traded or hidden in a backpack without even the simplest request for an arcana check, if not detect magic. How do I teach my players that they should be ready for magic being in these hordes without them telling them outright this is magic weapon X, especially now that they're looking to buy weapons since they have nothing useful against the newer challenges. Good example of the sometimes you just have to tell them. You know, and there are ways. One thing about magic items in in kind of the D and D world is like they're in, they're indestructible without a lot of effort, right? They they're not going to rot away. So the idea that when you go to a treasure hoard and you look at all the stuff there. Well, the stuff that has no corrosion on it at all, whose blade shines as, as brightly as the day it was forged, tells you that it's magical compared to that other crusty blade that's over there that has nothing on it. So you can definitely describe them in ways that like it's pretty clear to the players that it's magic. But in some cases, just whoever is trained in Arcana can tell. Like You can feel the forces of magic that are flowing off of here. You're pretty sure that sword is magical. Just tell them. If the players aren't getting it, just tell them. Right. And this is one of like that tell don't show. Right. Just tell them. Just tell them it's magical. Now, they still have to like attune to it to find out what it does. They still have to cast a tech magic to figure out exactly what it does. But there are definitely ways that you can do it. But remember that the characters are probably more observant about what's going on than the players are. So play off of that and use the ones that are trained. If, if any of them are spellcasters, they could probably tell. Any trained in Arcana could probably tell. And just, just let them know. Right? Unless you really think it's fun that they have an item that is magical and they don't ever do anything with it. To me, that sounds kind of lame. It sounds like you think it's kind of lame. So better is just like let them see it. And a, a, a good easy trick for this is in any time that you want to give some information to the group and you want to give it regardless of any kind of role that they make instead of asking for a role figure out who's trained in what and the people that are, have the, the highest ability score the highest ability modifier in that skill in that ability and or are trained in that skill get just tell them that because you're trained in arcana because of this or because of your 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 deep insight you discover this or because you are trained in the the powers of arcane magic you see this it's a way to make the player feel good that they made choices about their character that are actually having a good effect while at the same time giving them information without having to make a roll so that that would probably be my biggest my biggest trick for that Peter S. says, have you ever run into very episodically published adventure where each adventure is an individual mission in a different place? Do you have any recommendations on how to add PC backstory arcs to such a campaign without spacing the missions too much between each other? Yeah, so a couple of them, one that did not work very well and one that did. Tales of the Old Margrave is a whole bunch of different adventures that are all set kind of the Old Margrave. And the Old Margrave has a really good setting area too. It's a Cobalt Press, Cobalt Press book. And it's really neat. And the setting of Old Margrave is really, really cool. I like it a lot. And the adventures, many of the adventures are, are very fun. Unfortunately, there was no real interconnection between any of the adventures and any of the other adventures or the adventures and the setting itself. There wasn't, there wasn't like an arc. And I think they kind of got that feedback because Empire of the Ghouls is very different. Empire, you know, Empire of the Ghouls is definitely tied together. So... That was one where they were separated out and I tried running them and it just, it really didn't work out. I would have better, that would have, it would have worked better if I had reskinned the adventures and used the setting material for the old Margrave as the main way to go. But even though the weird bit is like all of the adventures were in a line, there was a first and a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth level adventure. So it seemed like you should be able to progress from one to the other, but they were all over the place in terms of where they were actually located. There was no path and there was no connection between them. So that was, that was 
you know, not, not, a, I mean, it, it's, it's a fine book. And again, the Margrave section alone is really, was really cool, but the lack of interconnection between the adventures made it hard. Ghosts of Saltmarsh is one word actually worked out really well. And it worked out well because they had spent some time to put an overarching plot in the book that said, here's how you can tie these adventures together. Now it also helped that those adventures could all sort of be played right out of the, the, the town of Saltmarsh that, you didn't have to kind of go all over the place. Oh, the next adventure is 100 miles to the east, but then you're, you know, 150 miles west for the next one. So spacing was an issue. So I think one thing you can do is make sure that the adventures are close enough to each other that you can easily get from one to the other. And then you might have to bring your own sort of storyline, pick some villains that you like, go through the regular steps for like campaign building, throw some villains in there, figure out how the villains are tied into the adventures and, and you can, you know, you can really tie all that together, but yeah, it, it can be tricky. And for those, some of those like tales of the awning portal, there's not really a good interconnection between the adventures that are in there, but radiant Citadel, there are because you, you have sort of the hub of radiant Citadel and you have sort of the themes of those adventures. So you could definitely play a bigger campaign. I haven't done so, but I feel like it'd be easier to play a campaign around the adventures in radiant Citadel than it would be to play a campaign around all of the adventures and tales of the awning portal. So Peter, I hope that, I hope that thought that gives you some thoughts. Peter H, another Peter, two Peters. Peter H says, you've spoken before about how good the future could be with different 5e versions. Watsi's whatever it will be called, Black Flag, A5e, and C7020. We're just talking about C7020. All building upon and being compatible with the core 5e SRD CC version. I don't think that if, that if each is truly compatible with the core version, it would mean they would necessarily be compatible with each other. What are your thoughts on this? I'm somehow shifting regularly between that's what you would want a different version for. And this would be a missed opportunity to really get the perfect RPG system that everyone can use to their liking. Good, good thought. So first of all, you're never going to find the missed opportunity for the, you're never going to find the perfect RPG system. And one of the things that I always made me say, like, I, I, I'm, I'm happy enough with 5e that I'm, I'm really, I don't need it to change too much is because you, we, how long have we been, we spent 50 years trying to put together the best RPG. Many, many companies have done it. None of them are perfect. Really smart people spending lots of time. There isn't one RPG we can say, well, that's the one that really nailed it. They really got it right. They always have little tricky bits and problems. And so if you already have little tricky bits and problems, the idea that you're going to make a new version that's going to have all new tricky bits and problems isn't really solving very much. So that's why I'm pretty happy to see general 5e compatibility in the last show i gave a big long rant and it was one of those in a rant i guess just a talk we talked about the compatibility what does compatibility even mean like what what kinds of things are compatible and i said like i think that like monsters and spells and magic items are examples of things that can are going to be pretty cross platform you know unless you see spells done completely differently for one of the systems, which we might, unless you, unless somebody tries to do spells completely differently, like moving spell fireball doesn't, you know, sit at the same relative level that fireball does. Unless you see something like that, probably the spells are going to be compatible. Again, deep magic, like all these spells that Cobalt Press put out, those are all compatible. Monsters are compatible. Monsters in the multiverse, which is kind of the newest tech that Wizards has put out for monsters are still backward compatible all the way to the first adventures that came out. And the monsters in the 2014 monster manual are still usable today. I still use it very often. I still use them. So that's an example where compatibility, those three things, monsters, magic items, and spells are 
likely to be pretty compatible across all of these systems. You would also say adventures. I bet you that adventures are pretty cross compatible. The only time they lose compatibility is when the adventure calls for a particular monster that doesn't exist in any other system. But you probably have it for that system. And most of the companies that are doing this, if they have a monster that you don't have, it's in that book. So generally speaking, adventures are going to be compatible with any of these systems. And because adventures are so general anyway, you can often use an entirely different system. You could take Spelljammer and use Fate and use the engine for Fate to run Spelljammer. It would probably work fine. Probably Cypher system. You could do the same thing. So compatibility of adventures is also really good. So then you get into other bits and I'll tell you where like the, the one where it's easy to get tripped up on are subclasses. Like when are subclasses compatible? It looks like sometimes subclasses will be compatible across systems and sometimes they won't. And it's going to depend on which system you're looking at. So we're going to have to see because, you know, of these systems, two of the four aren't out yet. If we think about 24, five, if we think about five, there are five systems, 20, 2014 5e D&D, which we have. Level up advanced 5e, which we have. And then three that we don't. And the three that we don't are C7020. We don't have that. Black Flag or Tales of the Valiant. Cobalt Press is one. We don't have that. And 2024 d We don't have that. So until those three come out, we aren't going to really know how compatible they are. But what, what Wizards of the Coast is saying that they're doing with the 2024 version of D&D sounds like it is compatible. Now, will Tales of the Valiant subclasses be compatible with 2014 d or vice versa. I don't know. I, that that's where areas get 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 tricky. But you know, so it's compatibility is really a big topic. It's not there isn't one. It's not a binary operation. If it's either is or isn't compatible, if there's variants of compatibility, there's certain parts that are compatible. The luck system from from the Hills of the Valiant from from Black Flag, that could be dropped in probably to any of the five E systems just outright. The new exhaustion rules from the 2024 version of D and D looks like they could be dropped in any system. All of the monsters and monster math and creation that exist in Level Up Advanced Five E can probably go to any other system. So you're seeing like there's different kind of degrees of compatibility. And I think in the end, we're going to have a big stack. I'm going to have a big stack. I don't know if everybody's going to buy them. I'm going to have a big stack of fifth edition books, and I'm going to be able to pick and choose which parts of which I want for the kind of game that I want to tell. And that's what I'm excited about. And it doesn't matter if I'm excited or not. I might as well be excited because they're happening anyway. So I'm going to be either grumpy about it or I can be excited about it because either way, it's happening. And I'm, I, choose to be, I choose excitement. I choose to be excited for it, and I am excited for it. Friends, I want to thank all of you for hanging out with me today while we talked about all things in RPGs. If you like this show and you want more stuff like this, consider subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter. It is absolutely free to sign up. You get a free adventure generator PDF and you get a weekly RPG related email sent directly to your inbox. You can also support me directly on Patreon. Patrons get access to all kinds of previews of things that I'm working on, video previews, exclusive adventures, lots of tips and tricks for running games, the Patreon Q&A and the dedicated discord channel and you can pick up any of my books at the sly flourish bookstore all of the links for all of those are down in the show notes below thank you all so much have a great day and get out there and play an rpg